myself. So if for some reason I fumble or mess up, it's because I don't have the iPad, which is weird. But I'm going to go classic, just paper, and we're going to just study really just one verse. Um, so Pastor Ron gave me permission to preach on whatever I wanted today, and so today we're going to memorize uh, a whole verse in Greek, and so you can't leave unless you learn it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Honestly, today's message, I really just want to share from my, from my heart. Uh, it's just a standalone. It's not a series. It's just something on my heart that I wanted to share. Uh, with Christmas approaching, can't believe it's just in a couple weeks, um, I can imagine if you're anything like me, you're about to just be, your schedule's going to be packed with just gatherings and, or, you know, going out in public or something. The Christmas season for most involves a lot of different things. And so I just, I just want to use this message. I just feel the word uh, recalibrate. So this is a recalibrating message. Uh, the word recalibrate, it means to adjust or change something back to the way it should be, back to the way it should properly function. It's the word recalibrate. I used to film a lot of videos, um, and I used to have this camera called the Osmo Cam. It was always really cool to look at. It's like you hold it in a stick like this, and then it has like the handle, and then some like arms, and then it would hold this little tiny camera. Uh, and it was neat because you could run around with the camera. You could run or like move around. And if you're using a normal camera, you can see all the shake, especially if you're me. I'm very shaky. But the Osmo Cam, it just was smooth and steady. And it was designed that way. I don't know why I always think this. I'm pretty sure whoever designed the Osmo Cam stole or was, was inspired by chickens. Because I have 10 chickens. And it's fascinating to me when my three-year-old daughter gets a chicken and she's shaking it around. The chicken's head is just so steady. No matter what, it just stays put. And that is exactly what the Osmo Cam does. I'm convinced they gleaned it from a chicken. Again, I don't know why my brain works that way. But when you're using the Osmo Cam, there was always one thing you had to watch out for. Again, the Osmo Cam was designed to be smooth and steady. But sometimes you could look at the video and you could see that the video you're actually capturing is warped or crooked, or both, warped or crooked. And the reason that happens is because the stabilizing arms, they get out of level. They lose sight of what is level. They get all out of whack. And so what you have to do is there's a recalibrate button. You hit the recalibrate button, and the camera pauses a second, and it, it gets back to what's level. It analyzes what's level, What's the way we're supposed to be? And it recalibrates so that your video looks the right way. And so just with that illustration in mind, I just wonder if you find yourself here today and you're, you are in need of a recalibrating moment. Maybe similar to the camera, how it gets warped or crooked. Maybe your outlook of life is out of whack. Maybe your perspective on how you view people is off. 
Maybe how you view yourself, how you view your purpose in life, how you view your family, how you view your marriage, how you view your work, how you view your possessions, all of these things, you might find that your view needs to be recalibrated. It needs to be put back to level. You need to pause a moment and get rebalanced, recalibrated, so that you can then in turn function the way you are designed and intended to function. That's the whole heart of recalibration. And that's what I feel like this message is today. It's just a recalibrating. Before we get into the craziness of Christmas, you're going to see family that you haven't seen in a while maybe, and maybe it invokes some emotion, maybe there's some tension at the table, maybe you just can't stand going out in the public. I don't know what the Christmas season does for you, but I'm kind of thinking beyond the Christmas season as we go into a new year. Maybe you just need the Lord by the Spirit to help you get a right perspective that's not out of balance. And that's what today's message is. So I have two points. They are not fancy and they are not mind-blowing. But they're my heart for today. And it's number one, that we would remember the gospel. And number two, that we would feel the call to go and tell others the gospel. Remember the gospel and then go and tell the gospel. If you know Chris Joyner, Chris, this message is your fault, just so you know. If you don't know, Chris and his wife, Chrissy, have been working lately on a new ministry project called Change, where he's creatively filming with a videographer just testimonies of just everyday people sitting down in front of a camera and just they're telling their testimony, uh, just people that have been changed by Jesus, and it's a powerful thing that they're doing. And just so you know, we're proud of you as a church family for what you're doing. So be on the lookout for these videos and all the things to be released. But Chris asked me to come and be a part. And so I got to go and record my testimony two weeks ago. And it's weird. I've never sat down and like actually in detail from the beginning wrote out just or typed out, I guess for me, typed out my story. I've always been kind of a bullet point or a just kind of shoot from the hip, kind of tell of my testimony. But this was like in detail. And as I just was going through all the different things, all I'm 30 years old, so the 30 years of just what the Lord has done, and even going back to my childhood, remembering just the pain of losing my mom to brain cancer, and the, at 12 years old, just the anger that that produced in me as a kid. And then to recall 13 years old, 14, 15, 16, 17, just these years of just brokenness and anger and just rebellion. I wasn't maybe, well, my parents may not agree. I wasn't the most like outward rebellious, though I was very outwardly rebellious. And again, they would say amen to that, but I was very inward rebellious. I just would wrestle with a lot of inward just, oh. I don't like anybody. I just am angry. And just to just remember that. And then also to get to the part where I just remember the Lord beginning to draw me. I can't quite pinpoint when exactly that started to happen. But 
the Lord just would bring some godly guys into my life. And I just recalled the time of the Lord drawing me. And then I remember the moments the Lord revealed the truth to me. Again, I was this kid that was convinced that God doesn't like me. And the reason he doesn't like me is because I'm not perfect. And maybe one day if I can get perfect, like all those Christians, then maybe he'll accept me. But right now I'm not perfect, so God hates me. He's out to get me. That was my mindset. And then to hear the truth. But that's not true. That's a lie. To hear the gospel, that God loves me, that it's revealed, it's evident by the cross of Jesus, that he would die in my place, just recounting all of those memories. What it's done is it's just been so refreshing to remember the gospel, just to remember it at its just core, what it is all over again. And so today I'm inviting you into what the Lord's doing in my heart. And that's just to remember, just to remember the gospel. So that's my first point. Remember the gospel. If you're not a believer, maybe the call is for you to know the gospel. But for those that have been believers, whether it's been for like six minutes or 60 years, however long, remember the gospel. So in Romans, there's a verse. It's Romans chapter 1, verse 16. This is the Apostle Paul, and we read in Romans 1, 16, the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This was the Apostle Paul writing, who, by the way, we can't forget who the Apostle Paul was. He was a Christian, murdering, anti-gospel pharisaical Jew whose sole purpose in life that we see in Acts and even in other spots, that his sole purpose was to wipe the face of the planet, just to wipe clean the church and to erase the gospel. His sole purpose was to shut it all down because he thought it was anti-God. And now here he is writing in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The very gospel I tried to shut down. I've actually been saved by it, invited into it, and now I'm giving my entire life to preach it. I'm not ashamed, which is amazing. If anybody had a right to be ashamed of the gospel, it was Paul. Because this gospel was the very gospel that was getting him whipped, beaten, spit on, rejected, laughed at, mocked by those who once called him friend, frequently imprisoned, and eventually would lead to his death. That gospel. And here he is saying, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, I know that it's this gospel that is the power of God for salvation. And so I really kind of want to just unpack a few of those words. Of course, the word gospel, if you've spent some time in church, it means good news. Good news. It's the good news that Christ was crucified on the cross 
and paid the price for salvation to everyone who would believe. So Paul was stressing here that he's proud. He's, he's proud to stand for the gospel. He's unashamed that Jesus would die to save those who would believe because by that gospel, by that good news that Jesus died, we receive salvation. Everybody say salvation. So the word here for salvation, it literally means, if you define it, it means ultimate deliverance from a broad range of evils. Ultimate deliverance from a broad range of evils. So what does that mean? I don't know if you may remember Morris Proctor, uh, but Morris, if you remember him, he passed away last year, and he was one of the greatest Bible teachers you could ever meet. Uh, and I'll never forget uh, in this room, Morris preaching a message uh, that just radically just changed my life. Just the Holy Spirit spoke through it. And I mean, I listened to this message at least once or twice a year. And in this message, Morris really just put on display what the word salvation means. And his message in my own summary, Morris taught that there's six things that our sin leads to before God. So six things. Our sin leads to being guilty before God, being cursed, we deserve the wrath of God, separation from God, we owe a debt we cannot pay, and to cap it all off, our sin leads to physical and eternal death. So guilt, curse, wrath, separation, debt, and death. All of, all of these six things are guaranteed to all humanity who has ever and will ever exist. Guilt, curse, wrath, separation, debt, death. None of us look at those words and feel happy about that. Yet we all have these six things guaranteed to us. But there is good news. There's a gospel. There's good news. The gospel changes everything. That, that because of Jesus, because he would die on the cross... We could spend the rest of the year just talking all about this. But because of Jesus, the power of the gospel, there is salvation to all who would believe. Do you know what that means for those that believe? It means salvation. Salvation means what? Ultimate deliverance from a broad range of evils. What broad range of evils? What ultimate deliverance from what? It means we have ultimate deliverance from guilt before God. It means we have been delivered from being cursed before God. It means we've been delivered from the wrath of God, delivered from having separation from God, delivered from paying a debt that we cannot pay, which ultimately would cost us our life and eternal death. We've been delivered from all of those six things. That's the power of the gospel. It's the cross of Christ is able to reach anyone, anywhere, anytime, and completely save and deliver. I love Morris's analogy was the six bullets, that each of those six things were like a bullet that Jesus took on your behalf. And now if you're in Christ, when the enemy comes to you, there's no more bullets. There's no more bullets. 
salvation. That's the gospel. And that reality is objective truth. It is firm. It is ever, it's not ever going to change. And we can stand in that. And it's why someone like the Apostle Paul, who really believed that, would even in prison, after being beat up, whipped, bloody, who knows what he felt like, he would write, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. For it is the power of God, of salvation for all who would believe. I said it a couple weeks ago, but one of my new favorite songs right now is called Communion by Brooke Liggertwood. She's the girl that wrote the song. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful, you know that song? Everybody knows, mostly knows that song. She wrote that song, but now she has a new song called Communion. And one of the, my favorite lyrics in the song, just simple, she wrote, how can it be that there is a table for all who would come? How can it be that there is a table for all who would come? Meaning, how in the world is it that there will be a table one day, the book of Revelation says, there will be a table one day, and there will be a seat for me and for you who believe. How is that possible? That we will have an invitation and a seat at that table. That is grace. That is mercy. That sinful people like us would have a way to sit at that table with all of our brothers and sisters who have fought the good fight of faith throughout history for those that maybe will go after us. Our kids or our grandkids or great-grandkids or great-greats or great, however long it happens. All who would go after us that would believe, all of us collectively will have a seat at this table. And by the way, can I remind you that at this table, I'm unashamed of the gospel. And now I just want to remind you to join me in that. Remember the gospel. Remember it. In your own way, after today or this week, something, man, just spend some time remembering and reflecting. The gospel doesn't need it, but man, Carrie mentioned it. This past Friday, I just saw one of the clearest pictures of the gospel by being in the courthouse in Murfreesboro here and to see Joel and Kelly officially and legally adopt their daughter, check out this picture of the moment it was official. <laughs> I love Pastor Ron's reaction. <laughs> I mean, that just encapsulates the moment. And I just remember standing there in the courtroom. And as it was all taking place, you just hear the language being used and the verbiage used, even in the legal documents. And I remember Joel and Kelly being told that Lilia is their daughter, as if she had always been theirs, that she had full rights as Joel and Kelly's biological kids do. So Lilia was being adopted, but this moment was some type of moment that would be as if Lilia had been there from the beginning. She had full rights, just like Isaiah and Elijah and Nevaeh do, just like Josiah does. 
Lilia now has full rights. It's as if she never was not a part of the family. And again, I'm in there. <laughs> I mean, I'm crying, and it's just like a double moment. It's like, this is incredible for this family. And at the same time, I'm like, I'm Lilia. We are Lilia. That we once were not God's. Because of our sin, we were not his. Ephesians 2 makes that clear. That we were not God's children. We were children of the devil. We were children of wrath. That's the whole point of Jesus coming. That Jesus knew we were not his. Therefore, he went to the cross to pay our price. That was the price he had to pay the six bullets taken on our behalf. That was the ransom he had to pay to deliver us, to strip the rights of the enemy, to strip the rights of sin. He paid his price of his life so that we could be adopted into God's family as if we never weren't. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. If you needed a, a, a way just to illustrate it, man, that's it. Adopted into God's family as if we never weren't his kids. Jesus' righteousness, now ours, all our sin and shame nailed to the cross, and we're God's kids for eternity. That's the gospel. And I, I just say it again, Joel and Kelly, we honor you guys for what you have done. Again, what, there's no better way to show Christ to a little girl and to the world than the way you have operated. So we honor you for what you have done. We're behind you as your church family, and we love you guys so much. So we thank you for your example. So that's point number one. <laughs> Remember the gospel. But point number two is this. We just sang a song all about it. Go and tell others the gospel. Go and tell others. It's Christmas time. It's Christmas season. Now is the perfect time to just jump in and go and tell others the wonderful gospel. Like I said, we just sang the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Of course, me being me, I'm like, where'd this song come from? What's the history? And it's actually the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, is an African-American spiritual in its origin. So because of that, like many African-American spirituals, they're not sure who wrote it because they didn't write stuff down. They just, they orally sang it throughout generations, throughout different contexts. They just sang it. But it was made, it was actually written down and documented in the early 1900s, actually right down the road in Nashville at Fisk University with the Jubilee Singers. And what's really cool as I was studying is it was common as soon as the song was kind of made famous around that context, it was a tradition on Christmas Day for all of the college students to gather on the campus. And as before the sun even rose, the college students would gather and they would just walk the campus singing, go tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. And actually that tradition would spark something on that campus. And not only would they sing that song, they would live that song. They would really tell the gospel 
to their friends on this campus, and it led to this massive movement at Fisk University in the early 1900s where many college students were coming to Christ. It's amazing. I didn't know that. But what you see there is these college students being faithful to their time, being faithful to the gospel and going and tell the gospel in their own time, in their own way. Again, they weren't distorting or changing the gospel, but the method in which they chose to deliver the gospel was through a lot of singing, was through a lot of one-on-one -on -one Bible studies all over the campus. When you study church history, we just studied the book of Acts this summer. We saw the early churches, we saw their time, and we saw that they were faithful to their time to deliver the gospel. If you keep studying church history, you see thousands and thousands of years of believers being faithful to go and tell the gospel. And my question today is, will we be faithful with our time? Let's just say a thousand years from now, will people study church history and go, man, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, in 2023 going into 24, something happened. We're not really sure. We can't quite pinpoint it, but the Spirit of God showed up, and the city of Murfreesboro was radically changed. Man, all of a sudden, families started to like get serious and like get together in their homes and study the Scripture and pray together, and homes were turned upside down, and as they study, they're going to see, man, they, they took it to their workplaces. They took it to the college campus right in the middle of their town. They started engaging the homeless community, like legit. They started going into the public and sharing their faith. They started having prayer gatherings. A thousand years from now, I'm believing in faith that something would happen. And that something would just be everyday, ordinary people like you and me being faithful with our time. That's my prayer. And I hope it's yours too. Because if you think about all of our stories, it was because most likely, not everybody, but most likely somebody in our, in our life was faithful to what the Lord was calling them to do, which led to somebody like you and me coming to know the gospel. For me, it was a, a guy named Kyle Eidelman on a Bible study video that he wrote. I've never even met the guy. But... Kyle Eidelman was faithful to what the Lord was calling him to do, and I was affected by that. I heard the gospel, and I could go on and on and on of faithful believers that the Lord has used to remind me of the gospel, to teach me more of the gospel, to push me to give my life to share the gospel. And again, I'm just asking you, will you be faithful to your time? Will you be faithful? If you're wrestling with even understanding if the gospel is for you, it is for you. You can know it. You can believe it. And then, in turn, use your life to go and tell. Amen? So this is our time. Pastor Ron's been communicating a lot to the staff from the stage that his heart for next year is that we would get serious about engaging and reaching people that don't know Jesus, the lost people away from Jesus that we would rediscover a passion for that. And again, maybe today is just a simple reminder to recalibrate your life to get ready for that. Allow the Lord to recalibrate your life. And, and can I just say this? Please hear me. 
The call of every believer is to stop viewing your life as your own. Our lives are not our own. That's hard. That's painful. It's like, well, what happened to the version of the gospel that says, like, believe in Jesus, and then you can just live your life because God loves you. It's like the Bible makes it clear. Your life's not your own. That Jesus died for you freely, and now the invitation is to come and die for him. He paid the price of your salvation for free, but now your response to that is, here's my life, Jesus. I'm not perfect, but here's my life. Every morning you wake up, here's my life, Lord. Here's my life, Lord. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself daily and follow me. Take up his cross and follow me. It's the words of Jesus. Your life's not your own. We don't get to treat Jesus as an add-on to our life. He, he is everything. And the call of the believer, and can I just remind you today, is to lay your life down for the glory of God and to be used by God in any way he sees fit. That is our response to the gospel. So I have two closing kind of practical thoughts. Two closing thoughts. Number one is this, that we should view every context we belong to as places the Lord wants to use us to reach others. Everybody say, every context. Say it again, every context. Every context we belong to. That means our homes, our workplaces, our church, our neighborhoods, our community. I, I just beg of you, don't confine your faith in Jesus to this room. And then you go home and you never talk about Jesus and you never reflect Jesus. Or I just wonder if I showed up at your workplace and I said, did you know that so-and-so is a believer? They go to church with me. I just would hope their response is like, not. I had no idea. Wow, that's kind of shocking. I just, I just wonder what that would be like. I just wonder, do you tend to separ separate, compartmentalize is the word. Your faith, it's, it's all of life. It's all of life. Now, I'm not saying, you know, don't do a good job at work. Why aren't you doing a good job? Well, I'm just praying in the other room. It's what, no, no, it's like, do a good job. Work hard, but use that as an opportunity to go and tell others the gospel. That's the whole point. And many of you, can I just say, are, are crushing this. You're crushing it. And can I just say, keep going. I know you keep sharing, you've got family you're trying to reach, you've got coworkers, man, you've been trying, you've been planting seeds, and you haven't been seeing a lot, keep going. Because the seeds that you're planting, the Lord is honored by that, and it's the Lord that brings the growth. Like he says in Corinthians, it's the Lord that brings the growth. We can just trust him. I'm going to keep planting seeds, Lord, even if it's a thousand different seeds, and I trust you to bring the growth. Keep going. Many of you are crushing it, and for all of us, Let's keep going into this. All right, number two, and this is the last thing. We should pray that the Spirit would highlight open doors we can take in sharing the gospel with others. I had a hard time with this is just burning on my heart. It's burning on Pastor Ron's heart, and it's just like the fire just phew, jumps over to me. I'm ready to go reach the lost. 
I want to engage the law. And I had a hard time not writing like 10 practical points here at the end. But just know that more practical ways to reach the lost and to share your faith is coming. But simply put, as we especially are ending the year, again, keeping Christmas time in mind, look for the open doors. Look for the open doors. When talking to someone, you have a heart to see, know the Lord. Sometimes a door of opportunity will just open. And we have to have the eyes to see it. And we not only have to have the eyes to see it, because you and I know sometimes we see it and we're like, mm, no, I can't do it. I'm too afraid. What are they going to think? What if they ask me a hard question? What if I don't know what to say? Oh my gosh, what are others going to think? Not only do we have to have the eyes to see it, we have to have the boldness to walk through the door. I mean, this pertains to our kids. Look for the open doors just to share the gospel with your kids over and over and over and over. This pertains to close family. I don't know why it keeps getting highlighted on my mind, but a lot of times Christmas time means we gather with family and oftentimes that family, be honest, includes people we just don't like. We kind of wish they weren't there. And everybody's got a story and everybody's got a background. I'm not trying to be insensitive to what certain things have happened. However, as believers, really? I mean, if I've been forgiven, the scripture says you who have been forgiven should forgive others too. I mean, just again, I'm not being insensitive. Be wise, but man, some oftentimes as you get to know people's stories, the reason they don't want to see so-and-so is because of something petty. It's like, man, just drop it. What if you actually were the one to bring the gospel to Uncle Ted? I'm trying to think of a name that might not be. <laughs> <laughs> to Uncle Frank or to Uncle whatever. What if you praying and asking the Lord, Lord, give me a heart. For Uncle Frank, and I know that having a heart for him will be you because I don't have that heart. But Lord, I need, I need your heart for my family. Because what if, Lord, you've actually put me in this family to reach that person? So pray for a heart for those family members, I mean, co workers, fellow students, those you meet out in public, a neighbor. That, I mean, me and Tara just moved to a new house, and I'm just I'm pumped about all these new neighbors we're getting to meet. I mean, I won't go off onto all the stories of the neighbors we've met, but I'm pumped about it. And just look for open doors is all I'm saying. Look for open doors. See the open door. Take the open door. Look for it. Pray into it. Ask the Lord to show you, and then take it. Take it. Go and tell the gospel. What if our faithfulness to a moment really does lead to somebody radically coming to know Jesus? What if? Or what if a moment of being obedient just leads to a simple seed being planted? I don't know, but the Lord knows. And I pray that the Spirit of God would help us to see it. Let me just close with this story, and then we're done. I want to just tell you a story of this inaction in my life recently. So I was with a family member a couple weeks ago, and this family member is not a believer, but recently been having some conversations, 
typically this family member of mine is classic, like, shut it down, like, I don't want to talk about that, I don't want to hear that, like, God's not real, what about this, well, I watched this Netflix documentary, and it said this, and the Bible's bogus, I'm like, get out of here, you don't know what you're talking about, like, anyways, me and this family member can talk to each other like that, (laughs) but I'm having a conversation with this family member of mine, and at one point in the conversation, he said, God just sends people to hell. See, that's evil, and because of that, I'm out. I could never believe in a God that just sends people to hell. If my own son did something wrong, no matter what, I would just never send him to hell. Open door. And I was like, here we go. This is awesome. Open door. I saw it, and I'm taking it. Whereas typically, honestly, with this particular family member, I uh, kind of... Not this time. And I saw this statement as a door of opportunity. And so I then engaged it. I said, so you use the word wrong. If my own son did wrong, I could never wrong. I said, so I said to this family member, if you and I would agree that if your son murdered someone, that is wrong. Yes, of course I agree. Okay. So if he committed the wrong act of murdering someone, then that wrong deserves justice. Well, yeah, of course. Of course it does. Okay. So murdering someone's wrong. Wrong demands justice. So what if that justice was the death penalty? What if your son, because of his wrong of murdering, actually deserves the death penalty. That's the justice. I said, so now go here with me. I said, imagine your son is about to face the death penalty because of his wrong, his wrong that he did. I said, now what if somebody came to you as his father and said, hey, look, your son did the wrong. The justice he deserves is the death penalty. You can actually take his spot. You can give him your freedom And you can take upon yourself his wrong and the justice that he needs. And I said to this family member of mine, now, would you do that? Well, absolutely. That's my son. I said, that's the gospel. (laughs) That's the gospel. I said, that's the gospel. God's not just playing duck, duck, goose call it duck, duck, hell or something like duck, duck, (laughs) hell, duck, duck, duck. You're going, it's not, it's not how it works. That's a misconception. A lot of people have. In fact, a lot of you, when you engage with people, they're going to say, well, I can never believe in a God that just sends people to hell. And that's what you say. Me either. Because my God saw me and I, because of my wrong, deserved justice. I broke the eternal law. God is holy. He's perfect. And I broke his eternal perfect standard. And because of that, I deserve justice. And God saw me and he stepped in and he said, you deserve death. You deserve all the things we said earlier. And I'm going to take your place. And I said to this family member of mine, all of these things I'm saying, I told him, you got it all wrong. God's not just sending people to hell. He sent his son 
to try and make a way that you wouldn't. And I remember his response to me in the car driving. I wrote it down. He said, I've never heard anybody explain it to me like that. That actually makes sense. Nobody has ever taken the time to explain it like that. And then for whatever reason, he just like cranked the radio up and he just needed a moment to just process. I don't really know what that was about. <laughs> but that was an open door moment. And I don't share that story to say I'm qualified or to boast, but all I'm saying is I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you in this fight, and I just so happen to get to stand on the stage and have a microphone and just teach you and encourage you. You can do this. You can in your own strength, but you have the Holy Spirit to help you. Lean into the gospel and use this season to go and tell the gospel. Pray that the Spirit of God would show you the open doors and just take it. I didn't like, I wasn't in that car in that conversation with a, oh, if he says this, I'm going to come back. That was just the Holy Spirit going, go this way. And it, and it worked. And I just wonder how many more people that we know would say, I've never had anybody take the time to explain it to me like that. Now, I'm not saying the careful explanation is the three steps to salvation kind of deal. But what I am saying, if you just are faithful in a moment, the Holy Spirit can do the rest. So will you be faithful with your time? to go and tell. That's my message today. Amen? Stand with me. I just want to close by reading a few passages of Scripture. I'm just going to read these, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to dismiss my heart is that you would be encouraged to seek for opportunities to go and tell. And so, just absorb these with me. John three sixteen through 18. This is the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 3, 23 through 26 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, declared righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That word means to satisfy the wrath of God. Who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sin. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And the last one, 1 Peter 2, 22 through 25. 
talking about Jesus, it says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I mean, on and on and on, we could read passages that just show the gospel front and center. But my encouragement is that this is the truth we can stand on for all eternity. These things that we are forgiven and we can praise the Lord for the gospel that we are adopted into his family, and as his kids, we can now advance his kingdom with our lives. And I pray we're just faithful to our moments. And so, Lord, I pray for every person in the room. God, I pray if anybody in the room just maybe today was the first time they've ever really carefully seen the gospel on display, I pray, Lord, that you would just welcome them in. Holy Spirit, would you do a work like you've done in so many of our hearts? Welcome them in, God. I pray even today, God, maybe even after the message, you would just lead them to come and talk to somebody. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to Pastor Ron. Somebody that can now just begin the walk of faith with them. Lord, I pray for every believer in the room, God, that we would be reminded of the gospel, a recalibrating moment, that our life is not our own. God, we lay our lives down once again. We enter into this 2023 Christmas season with our lives and expectations laid down, and we just invite you, Holy Spirit, use us however you see fit. Help us to be faithful. Help us to glorify you with our lives. Lord, we, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we just lift a shout of praise to Jesus? made it through with the paper. It was awesome. <laughs> well, hey, we love you guys. There's a lot happening this Christmas season. Stay on the lookout for all of the different events. Of course, we have a picture set up in the back uh, for you to take pictures. Don't forget your kids in the back. And we love you guys. Go and tell the gospel everywhere. And we love you. We'll see you back next week. <laughs>